0: Marketing people. If you say, I'm looking for a sales manager, any idiot can say, I can spell sales manager and hit apply, and there you go. It is the game of butterfly wings in Tokyo making the hurricane in New York, right?
1: Welcome to Marketing People, the podcast where we talk to marketing people about how they market to people. I'm your host, James Richter. And in today's episode, I sit down with James Ellis, a self-described employer brand nerd. In our conversation, we discuss the difference between your corporate brand and your employer brand, and how those identities overlap. We also discuss what your employer brand and a bird's nest have in common. Uh, It makes sense when we get into it, I swear. And we also talk about tips for getting more high-quality candidates and less noise in your hiring efforts. So what is an employer brand? Well, it's time to find out as James Ellis and I explore every aspect of employer branding and the strategies your business can take to improve it. Enjoy. So, James Ellis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. So what is an employer brand? Wow.
0: So that's a, there's an easy question. There's an easy answer to that. There's a very complicated question, answer to that. So the easy one is it's the sense of what people have when they think about what it's like to work at your company. When people think about, and excuse me for using brand names, if you work there, that's fantastic, but what do people think that you work at Amazon? What, what do they think Amazon's like? You work at Apple, what do they think Apple's like? You work at Ford, what do you think Ford's like? And... That's a simple idea, right? Just the same way that any consumer branding, any corporate branding, is. what's it like to use that product? What's it like to work with that, you know, in in that space? But what happens is, is that employer brand, because it's so different, and I'm sure at some point we'll talk more about it, it's very individual. In the same way that, okay, so you've got an Apple laptop, not that we're gonna do name brands here, but (laughs) there are just as many people who go look at that uh, the MacBook or the Air or whatever, and they go, it's gorgeous, it's lightweight, I throw out my bag, it works every single time, uh, I don't have to worry about it. Virus, what's a virus? I mean, there's all these reasons. Every time you touch it, you're like, you know, it just works every single time. And mm-hmm. there are just as many people who look at it and go, overpriced, fetishized, aluminum and glass BS, just, it's a commodity, treat it like a commodity.
1: That's my computer you're talking about. Exactly,
0: I and mean, we're, we're gonna come to fistf- come to blows later. Um, but who's right in that regard? Well, the answer is obviously is both our people are right. Where did I come up with my impression of that brand? Where did you come up with your impression of that brand? And, you know, they're created individually. So what happens is, what is it like to work at Apple or Amazon or Ford is a personal question. It's individual in my mind. What I think it's like to work at Amazon is gonna be very different, potentially, to what you think it's like to work at at Amazon and Apple or Ford, right? And that comes from product, It comes from the news. It comes from your interaction with customer service. It comes from your interactions with the recruiters. It comes from your interactions with the career site. Did you go looking for a job? Did you apply for a job? Did anybody respond to you? Did they ghost on you? Mm -hmm. Did you meet a hire manager? Were they total jerks? Did they look at their phone the entire time you tried to talk to them? Did they try and upsell you on something? Did they try to engage with you? There's all these little touch points that happen that allows me to create my perception and you to create your perception.
1: So, a lot of that stuff sounds like it overlaps with an actual brand. Like the normal brand. You just
0: used the phrase actual brand (laughs) as if it's (laughs) different and it's not. Didn't mean to offend it. No, it's not offended, but but there's a corporate company brand. Sure. And most people see it, touch it, feel it, perceive it as a function of product brand, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't you have feelings about Ford or Toyota or Nissan, but you really have those feelings about the Ford F-150 pickup truck with the Hemi and the thing, or you really like the Camry, that's an amazing car, or and you really don't, you know, you're mediocre on the t- show. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a product kind of concept. Employer brand is the same function. It's just a tiny, tiny little offshoot of that core company brand. The people who work there, i.e. employee brand, made that car, they made that product, they made that service. They put your stuff in the Amazon box and they shipped it out to you. There's a person who brought it to your door. Mm-hmm. Those are the people doing the work. They're, they have to be interconnected, sure. otherwise you're schizophrenic and you're toast. So there is an overlap, right? Overlap, there's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. There's a core idea. So if you, and I'm doing a podcast so I know that you can't see that I'm mentally drawing <laughs> in the air, uh, but there's, 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 you know, think of it at the top of the pyramid. Think of it, this is what the company's all about. We, yeah. ex- you know, your, your, your uh, Nike, Nike is a great one, right? Where they exist to make everyone feel like they're an athlete, that they can do amazing physical things, right? Does that mean when they go to work, they ignore that? No, of course not. These people like athletics. They like physicality. They like sports. They like working out. They like going for a jog. They like wearing loose baggy clothing that lets them jog or move or box or whatever they do. In fact, they also make products that do that to help inspire people like me, who are chubby, to say, oh, I can feel like I'm LeBron James because I put on a pair of $120 shoes. Mm -hmm. Because I feel, it all ladders up to this core idea. Mm -hmm. At some point, I would imagine, and you'd have to talk to an investor relations person, their investor relation brand, their investor brand has some sort of connection to this core brand. The reason why you, and let's be fair, everybody else thinks that when you say consumer brand and corporate brand, they're the same, is because 98% of all the money and 98% of all the resources devoted to the corporate brand were really consumer brand. Mm -hmm. Buy these shoes, buy these sneakers. Look at the, here's LeBron James, here's Michael Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan. You know, here's, you know, shoes, 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 shoes. Right? Buy a watch. You know, we've got an Apple integration now. Shoes, 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 shoes. Mm 2% maybe was employer brand. But the truth is it's starting to shift because the people who make those shoes and design those shoes and come up with those textiles and figure out the real crazy ways that you make that thread wrap around a foot over and over again and those are people who work
1: there and those things are related. And so Nike and Apple are interesting examples because they also have, and every single company just about in the United States also has employees overseas. Yep. So where... How does that, does that complicate things with when you have, when you're talking about an employer brand that might not necessarily apply to anybody here Mm -hmm. as an employer, but still impacts the way they perceive the brand? So the power of an employer brand is a
0: function, a direct function of the power of choice by the workplace. You go back 100 years, go full on Sinclair Lewis, and your choices as an immigrant was to starve or work at the factory slaughterhouse. Did they know working in the factory Slaughterhouse was gonna be hell? Yes. Did they do it anyway? Yes, because they had no choice. At no point did they say, do I choose this hell or do I choose that hell? Mm-hmm. Right? Us, nowadays, here's 2000 and whatever, 19 I guess, We have choices. The labor market's tight. There are more job openings than people to fill them. Anybody who's good at what they do in any way, shape, or form has a choice. They could work at this company or that company. Even if they're in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania or the middle of nowhere, Arizona, they have choices. They could move. If they're good at what they do, companies are desperate to bring them in. What's the labor market like overseas? Now we use overseas as a very blanket term. Does that mean Luxembourg or does that mean Botswana? I'm thinking mostly like you know China. Okay. China, yeah. what kind of choice they have. This is a country not very well known for the amount of choices they give their people. This is a country not very well known for having a lot of information that you can consider uh, authentic and believable and useful. Mm-hmm. So it's complicated there. Now, an amazing designer, is gonna be valuable wherever you go because there just aren't that many of them. And if you're an amazing designer, you could work at you know, Adidas or Adidas here in, here in the States, uh, or Reebok or, or, or Under Armour Now or all these other companies. Heck, uh, um, who's the guy who goes bam? Emeril Lagasse has Emer- a shoe line. He has Does a he? shoe line. I love Emeril. Exactly, and, but now he can wear his shoes if that's the thing you wanna do. So if you're a good designer of shoe wear, and that's just sportswear, that's just sports shoes, you have choices and choices allow you to say X or Y. A or B, company A, company B, Nike or Adidas, what do you want to do? And that's when you start to say, I'm not flipping a coin. This is my life here, man. This is a choice I have to make. I have to say, and and here's the other part of it. On the other side of it, there's so much more information out there. You want to thank Glassdoor, feel free. You want to thank Google, feel free. But you know that when the company comes in and says, this job pays about let's call it $70,000. This is not really a job that pays 140 and they decided to see what they could get away with. You can go back and look at the research to say yeah, generally this job pays about 70 to 75. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm in the realm. I'm in that space. I'm in within the margin of error. So I don't feel like I'm taking advantage of. And I can say, okay, if I get an offer from company A and it's 72,000 an offer from company B and it's 70,000, On a purely transactional basis, you pick company A because there's $2,000 more. But what if company B says, yes, you're gonna be happier. You get to go home at 5.30. We have a gym on site. We have healthcare on site. Oh, you get to work on the products you want to work, and you have more choice, you have more autonomy, you have more ownership, you have more sense of community, more sense of support, more sense of mission. There's all sorts of things you can offer. A lot of intangibles. A lot of intangibles. And a lot of tangibles, like the gym membership. Exactly. And And so it becomes a bigger package. But what really begins to happen is that if you know wherever you go, you're gonna get within this band of salaries, because the information is now transparent, you're not gonna go to another company and make double, because that would be insane, Now you say, what's going to make me happy? What's going to make me most satisfied? What motivates me to get out of bed in the morning? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, I want to work in a place where I'm making a positive impact in the world. I mean, I got to hope, I got to hope that teachers make that call every single morning. Because we don't pay them jack. The benefits suck. Yeah, 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 they get three months off, but... Let's be fair, those people, and if you know teachers, you know that some of them are insanely smart. They're making a choice. It's not like they got stuck. It's not Sinclair Lewis and the factory uh, slaughterhouses. They made a choice to work with kids because they believe in something more. Mm-hmm. They make less than they could, but they made a choice. Okay. Some people make choices to say, I want to make the most money possible, and I hope they have a lot of fun in that hedge fund. Mm-hmm. Right? Nobody goes in the hedge fund to change the world. They go in there to make a a ton of cash and get the heck out of Dodge. Why do you work where you work? And everybody has different motivations. And So what you're trying to do in employer brand thinking is to say, what do I reward? Is it work-life balance? Is it innovation? Is it the drive for status? Is it the, the, the performance? Is it ownership? Is it mission? Is it values? Is it team? What do I reward? Now I'm gonna find people for whom that is the most important motivator for a job. right?" Teachers started to suddenly pay a lot more money, and honestly, I wish they would, but if they did, it's not going to radically change the people who show up. It's still people who want to help kids. They're going to be thrilled to have more money, and their lives are going to be better, but you're not going to have a sudden influx of people saying, you know what? Suddenly, kids are a thing. I'm going to get into that now.
1: That's an interesting question. I, I would love to see that play out. Yeah. I don't know if there are <clears throat> some sort there's, of examples yeah. in around the world of where that's happened. but um... Well, then it becomes a game of quality. Right. So if suddenly,
0: let's pretend, theoretical company or country, and they double the, the teacher's salaries. It's not that there's suddenly a huge influx. It's the people who are there, the best of the best, are going to migrate towards those jobs. You okay. know, think of a private school. They can pick and choose. Whereas you know, inner-city schools, it's like, please come work for us. They'll take almost anybody. But the people who
1: really want it and want to work for it, they will elevate themselves up. Sure. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like, People choose the products that they want to buy, not only because of the products, uh, but to a smaller degree, how they think of the company, right? Mm. It gets even more complicated than that. Okay.
0: Every time you buy a product, you're effectively telling a story about yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Let's go go talk to Uncle Seth about that one. Every time you buy (laughs) an Apple, Apple says something about you. Whether you buy a Samsung or a a Lenovo or an Apple, you are in some way telling yourself a story about yourself. I'm the kind of person who likes this. And what you're really saying is, I'm the kind of person, because I've picked an Apple, I value design and completest thinking and a more holistic approach to things. You pick a Samsung, potentially, because you say, I'm the kind of person who puts my money other places where it's more valuable. This is just a commodity. This is just a tool. Why would I spend twice as much on a hammer? A hammer does what a hammer does. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to focus on this. So this is the kind of person I am. You're telling yourself choices about that. Where do you tell that? Where does that story come from? And it comes from marketing. It comes from branding. It comes from this is the kind of place. This is the kind of company. This is the kind of product for people
1: who like this. Right. And it sounds like the employer brand is a small piece of that. It's a piece of it, yes. And then when you think about, so that's, that's somebody owning an object, owning sure. a product. Mm-hmm. Then when you think about somebody deciding whether or not they should work for that company, they're also considering how good is the product? What's that product yes brand no. like?
0: Yes and no. So okay. we, talked, we started this off by what is an employer brand and how is it perceived? And it, you have to go back to the bird's nest model of how brand perception occurs. Mm-hmm. If I go to Target... And I'm sorry, Target, I love you. You have half my money, I have a four-year-old. So all my money goes to Amazon and Target, so there you go, full disclosure. Uh, Otherwise, they're not paying me anything. (laughs) I go to Target, the products work great. They're inexpensive, they're affordable, they're valuable, they're useful. Every time I go in, I don't hate my life because I'm going into a store, and there are other stores, certainly I could name that that would not be the case. Um, I, I check out pretty quickly, they give me good bags. I get to go home, I reuse those bags. I feel pretty good holding on to those bags. That's great. I like Target as a consumer, but I'm in Chicago, so how many Target jobs are there in Chicago? Well, best case, store manager. I'm not a store manager guy. Mm -hmm. So is it gonna be enough to have those interactions to say, yeah, go ahead and move my butt to Minneapolis? And by the way, it's snowing outside, so no, do not move my butt to (laughs) Minneapolis. Um, Those are choices, but that's a part of the puzzle. If I see I don't. Know, and it goes back to my motivation. What am I motivated by? Is it right. ownership? Is it drive? Is it brand? Is it status? Is it what is the thing? But there's so many other elements that create that bird's nest. So sure. it is. Um, there's one by my house, or there isn't one by my house. They don't do good returns very well. The the, the products never fit. They always fit. That's sure. that happens in a passive model. Meaning, I'm not looking for a job. I'm having standard human being interactions with other human being capitalist society type things, i.e. products and goods sold at a business. I shift gears, it's time for me to look for a job. I go to some big old job board, if you want to call it Indeed, feel free, but I'm not getting paid to do that, and it's like a roulette wheel, right? You type in, job I want, enter, ka chang and it's like 20,000 jobs, all with the same title, and this is Chicago, so 20,000 isn't too crazy a number. And you're going to skim through those. Now, 20 million businesses in North America alone, how many do you think you know? Maybe Mm 0.0001%? Maybe, right? So you're going to look at a lot of businesses whose logos you have zero connection with and zero interaction with and nothing resonates in positive or negative. Mm -hmm. One or two of them will be negative. But then that Target logo comes up and you're like, you know, I do like their products and I do like that thing. And oh, there is a job I'm looking for. Now I've shifted into active search mode. I'm absorbing information differently. I'm absorbing... I'm listening for the news, I'm listening. What would it be like to work here? What would it be like to have to be here? What would it like to interact with these people? What would it be like? That's all employer brand is. What would it be like to work here? And you're starting to absorb different touch points. You're starting to read the job description. Was it well written or was it just a bunch of bullet points that was puked out by HR? And let's be fair, you've seen them both. Uh, Was it, did they try to tell a story? Did they try to connect me to something emotional or human? What does it reward? Does it reward work-life balance or does it reward innovation? What do I reward it by? I want to be rewarded for. I'm looking for a match. And that's really what it's all about. And then, by the way, it shifts gears again. When I decide to apply, we now go into candidate experience mode. What's the recruiter like? Do they ghost on me? Do they make me feel like I'm part of the process? Did the hiring manager actually engage with me like a human being? Or did they stare at their phone the whole time? Mm -hmm. Did I get the three weeks later thanks but no thanks form letter? Or did someone call me and say, look, you were great. We think you're fantastic. But this is the reason why we didn't go with you. Here's some good feedback. All of those things feed my perception of employer brand, and it's an individual perception, not your perception, it's just purely my perception, mm-hmm. times that by a bajillion, which is let's be fair how many different times it happens, and that's how the game gets played. Right. So if you want to attract more people, if the reason you're thinking about employer brand is to leverage it to attract more people, and that's where I live, you do consider what the packaging is like, what the goods are like, what the customer service is like. Those things do have impacts down the road. They're just absorbed differently because you're not looking for a job. It's, an, it's a passive model. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm guessing most people listening to this podcast are not employer branding people and they don't live in recruiting and maybe they've gotten a job and they've met a recruiter and good for you. But they would like to understand how to leverage employer brand and right. how does it interact with what, we, what I would normally call consumer marketing, consumer branding.
1: Right. Why should a... Why should a marketer care basically about employer brand? I think we've already gotten a few good answers. There's pieces
0: to it, right? Yeah, Yeah.
1: and I think it's because they share a a lot of space in the the customer's head. Sometimes the customer isn't thinking, oh, that's my perception of the employer brand, and that's my perception of the product brand, and that's my perception of the investor brand. They can't silo
0: that stuff up. The human being was not meant to compartmentalize at that level. Let's flip it around. You've got a neighbor, and your neighbor raves about John Deere, and, and where I come up with brand names is really crazy, like, <laughs> did, you, did I just see a commercial? Um, but they rave about working at, at John Deere.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then one day, you need to buy a tractor, or a lawnmower, mm-hmm. that's going to impact. So it goes both ways, it's not just the job seeker receiving inputs from consumer, the employee experience impacts the people in their networks. And by virtue of the function of word of mouth, it has much more powerful power than the ad and the commercial desperate for you to buy a tractor. You know Susan who works upstairs, who works in accounting, who just raves about how great the company is. That has more impact potentially than the commercial they spent, however much money, developing and putting on the Super
1: Bowl, right? I was just thinking that, yeah. And so, because you were talking about, you know, a you know, piece of advertising and the product, these are all things that could prompt somebody to be interested in a job somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that entire candidate experience that they might go through, that's, that's a personal interaction that yeah. generally they experience alone or with a few people from inside that organization. Yeah, it's a very human personal interaction, right? It's
0: two people interacting, it's not a billboard in a person, it's not a digital ad in a person,
1: it's person to person. Right, and so those three Basic brand experiences Mm -hmm. are all experienced pretty much at a personal level, Mm -hmm. right? But then there is the next step, whether or not that person gets the job, which is the content they're going to start creating, right? And it's going to start going out into the world and influencing other people's perceptions of what it's like works. It's ripples on ripples on ripples. Everything that you do, every action that you
0: make, ripples out to the people in that network who are touched by that action, who then ripple out to other people. And it's you know, it is the game of butterfly wings in Tokyo making the hurricane in New York. Right? You have a bad interaction. You tell somebody about that interaction. They start off thinking about applying for a job. They decide not to apply for a job. You can't map that. You can't like. Draw that out, but you know it's happening like a million times every single day.
1: And in that way, it's very similar. The The employer brand is very similar to the product brand Yes. in that most of the conversation is out of the marketer's hands yes. to an extent. Oh, yes. Like it's a secondary market of ideas. And basically. great
0: marketers embrace that. Right. They don't look for the control. They look to influence.
1: Yeah. Right. And so how can they do that? more effectively. Yeah, it's complicated.
0: I will say that there's a really well known uh, study, I think it was, I wanna say T-Mobile, it might have been Verizon, my apologies for messing this up, but literally they watched people walk out of interviews where they had a bad interview experience Mm. and go straight into a different carrier Business and say, I don't want to work for this. I don't want to use this company anymore. I had such a bad experience as a candidate. I don't even want to see their brand on my phone anymore. Oh my I want to switch carriers. And literally, that company bad experiences led to millions in lost sales. Wow. Yeah. So there's clearly a connection. It's just very hard to study. You really need to have a kind of a closed loop environment. Uh, I literally forgot the question you had.
1: So, I think it it scares it scares marketers. I know. Personally and, mm-hmm. and brand marketers and, and uh, you know all the way up to the CMO especially that so much of the conversation about the brand is out of their control. Yes. And so they can control, you know, the creative in the advertising, they can control their website, mm-hmm. they can control the quality of their products, they can do philanthropy, um it's they a can different kind of message, sure. They can treat But their, that's why I
0: always go back to that bird's nest model. If you want a bird to change its nest, you don't say, hey bird, bad nest. Do it better. Here's some plans. Here's some blueprints. Here's a zoning rule. Whatever. What you do is say, "How is the bird collecting the materials to build that nest?" Okay. Well, it's Chicago, so it's a lot of coffee stirs. There's the occasional cigarette butt. There's a little piece of black plastic bag in there somewhere. Maybe a little bit of grass. You want to change that bird's nest? Go in a three-block radius and t- destroy all the coffee stirs. Pick up all the cigarette butts. Replace them with tri- twigs, and grass, and straw, and suddenly the bird's nest changes. So the mark- brand marketer's job is not to change the nest, but to use the nest as a focal point to say what is being what is being used to build that and change what's around it. So if I don't like that people are looking at my product and saying, ah, it's this, I have to stop the bad news stories. I have to change the product. I have to change the packaging. I have to change the bad customer service, because those are things that are leading to that brand perception. Mm. I can't say, hey, ignore that horrible customer service interaction you had, it's not important you still love this company because the second you try and tell me that i go nah, screw you no I, I know what i know i had what ha- that happened to me you don't care about me as a comp- as a as a, as a uh, uh, customer mm-hmm. guess what i'm gone you can't control that yeah. but if you have some influence to say look and let's be fair I, I, we've all done customers anybody who you know has done customer service jobs it's a thankless job it's a hard job mm-hmm. it's it's an atrocious job and it's certainly not paid enough but to say, look, I know it's easier just to say, just reboot the computer and hang up. Mm-hmm. But if you can hang out for three more minutes and just make sure that person feels like they were heard, like I call up a cable company or I call up a cell phone carrier or, you know, an airline. I mean, these are companies that nobody actually likes who they work Nobody likes doing business with them, but you have to. Nobody likes their cable company. That's my assumption. Right. But they, you know, they, they leverage all those tricks. So they have to say your name ten times, and they have to make sure that the, when you ha- state your problem, they restate that problem back to you and say, "Do I understand that?" But they have this kind of model where they try to a- automate the process of building a a a a. Re- relationship on some level, despite the fact that they have to assume that the people picking up the phone and trying to help you don't care. Mm. So they, they, they processitize, they turn into a map, they turn into a script, they turn into, if they say this, then say this. If they say, just do this. You Human become- Human interaction it, best practices. Exactly, and then you become a bot for best you know all intents and purposes, and yeah. that sucks. That's, that's, a, that's a rough way to live. Right. But because the marketer, the owner can't control, I need to put people in that job who care about their customers. They have to processitize it. But if you could get customer service that cares, look at Zappos. They're told, you're not measured on how many people you can grind through in an hour. You're not measured by how many people you can keep from Canceling their accounts. You're not measured by all the things that we think of as customer service. What they're measured by is general satisfaction of the customer. And if you have to have an hour long conversation, if you have to just hang out and talk about their grandma, and that's what it takes, congratulations, that's what you're incentivizing. Mm-hmm. Then that leads to that, changes that part of the bird's nest material, and that's how Zappos does what Zappos does. Mm. It's not by saying customer service needs to be job one. There are too many companies that say that and then they pay their people nothing and they metric all the wrong things and they wonder why people don't like the brand. That stuff carries through. And any good brand marketer knows it is a pure ecosystem. It's insanely messy. You can't manage all of it. All you can do is hope to influence the stuff that you're strongest at.
1: Yeah, I really like that. Metaphor of the bird's nest. Totally
0: stole it. I wish I could remember where I stole it oh. from.
1: But I. <laughs> we'll l- pretend you did. Well,
0: no, I'm not that smart. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I I I got something going on upstairs, but I'm not that smart. But I, when I heard, the second I heard it, I went. That explains so much of how to think about managing a brand. That it is, you know, you are typing with boxing gloves. You are at least three steps removed from making actual impact. You got to be good with it. You know, all this, these whole things are Rube Goldberg machines, right? You. Mm-hmm dangle the thing over here and 14 steps later the customer goes yeah that was
1: pretty cool I like that mm-hmm.
0: you're like yeah that wins but it's, it's a monstrous machine
1: yeah you could also think of it as like a garden right you're mm-hmm. tending to the mm-hmm. garden you need to make sure you're getting enough sunlight mm-hmm. you've got the right
0: and if you make a bad seed. choice early on you won't know about it for so long you know like, oh, why won't that thing sprout what did mm-hmm. I do wrong and you're like oh you'll never know potentially because the feedback loop is so bad right so what makes interest? what makes employer brand and consumer brand so different. And I think what's interesting is, I think recruiting has generally always been seen as 10, 15 years behind the times. Um, I mean, look at your company's
1: ATS, and you go, yeah, that's uh, that's what 1997 looks like. That's right. Um, and ATS is an applicant ap- tracking system.
0: My apologies. That is my jargon of vernacular. Sure. That is actually <laughs>
1: exactly what it is.
0: So Great. when you go to apply for a job, and you upload your resume, it says, hey, thanks for uploading your resume. Can you retype all that stuff? Welcome to ATS hell. Congratulations. <laughs> that software was coded in 1997. <laughs> um, it was never meant for human interaction. It was designed as a recruiter tool that someone said, yeah, but if I code an interface to it, wait. I can charge double and congratulations an industry is born, but I'm deeply cynical and a horrible broken human being <laughs> So that's an ATS and that's how that works, but the trick is employer brand because recruiters are trying to say well gosh I'm trying to find these people to apply. I'm trying to get more people to apply, I'm trying to get more people to accept these offers. I got marketers down the hall who seem to be focused on these exact same problems What do they use they use? Email marketing and social media marketing, and they make commercials and they do a thing and they do a thing and they do ads and they do content marketing and they do, 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 do. experience, experiential marketing. I'm just going to steal all that stuff and go ahead and just do it. Well, here's the problem. And I've been a marketer for a very long time and I am mostly in a non employer brand space. Mm-hmm. The concept of marketing is a quantity job, meaning if you sell ice cream cones or tacos or sofas or breakfast cereal, anybody with the money is a potential addressable market. You're selling tacos, you got a dollar, congratulations, we're gonna be best friends for like five seconds as I take your dollar and you enjoy the lovely taco. I didn't ask you any questions. I didn't say where'd you go to school. I didn't say if I talked to your friend at that school, would they say you did a really good job at that school before I give you that taco? It's a taco or an ice cream cone, it's a transaction. Mm -hmm. All of marketing is based on this idea. If you've got the money, I've got the product, let's trade. End of conversation. Now, there are plenty of B2B people who will say, yeah, but we're not that transactional. We focus on a specific, you know, target audience and say, that's great, that's great. But if you're focused on 10 or 12 customers this year, if you got 20, you'd still take every single one of them. It's still a quantity model. The more, the better. Right. Now, if you sell a million tacos, you're getting a raise. Heck, they're going to stick your picture on, under, a, under a big logo. It's going to say, Employee of the Month, you're amazing, you sold a million tacos. As a recruiter, if you get a million people to apply for that job, you're getting fired. That's too many people. You've made too big a haystack and that needle may or may not be in there. Your job is not to get a thousand people to apply or a hundred people to apply. Your real job ultimately is to get two or three great people to apply and everything else is noise. Thus, it becomes not a quantity job, but a quality job. Because if I'm trying to hire a marketer, accountant, lawyer, customer service person, I'm trying to hire one person. And if you give me two great people, I can still only hire the one person. Right. So it becomes which is the best, which is the best fitting, what's the best match, who's going to provide the most value over time. Everybody, if you have 100 people apply, people two through 100 are never going to be happy. They're never going to get what they want. They will have given you their information, their time, their trust, their data, their whatever it is, and they got exactly nothing in return.
1: Mm-hmm. So every
0: time you sell a product and you pissed off 100 people, how long would you exist as a business? Right.
1: Not bad Welcome
0: long. to recruiting.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Welcome to recruiting. So the problem is if you try and take all that marketing stuff and just dump it on a recruiter model, you're screwed because now what you're doing is you're pissing off more people to still fill that one job. So employer brand says it's a quality job, not a quantity. So I don't want you to go talk to a million people. I don't want a million people to apply, I want five people to apply. In fact, if I can get three people and I know that each one of them is great, Fantastic. Let's be fair. If it wasn't for the hiring manager feeling the need to choose between two or three people, I just want the one person. Mm-hmm. I want the perfect person to walk in the door and say you'd be amazing. Yes, you would. Bango, bango, bang oh, that's a job, we're done. No waste, no excess energy, no resources lost.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the difference.
1: So in the same way that and that's really interesting, but the when you when you brought in the B2B example, mm-hmm. I do still see similarities between and and you pointed this out, between how a B2B buyer journey is gonna be a bit longer, yes. right? they because they're, they're dealing with bigger amounts. They've got more buyers
0: involved. Usually when you're selling to an enterprise as a B2B, you're not selling to Bob or Susan or Patel or anybody. You're selling to procurement, legal, the person who actually is going to use the product maybe, the person who's making the decision, who is legally obligated or authorized to actually cut the check with procurement. You've got to sell it up a chain. You've got to sell it down a chain.
1: Right. And so I feel like it's sort of more, it's more analogous than the, obviously than the the B2B example to me is more analogous to this recruiting Mm -hmm. process than like your, very basic B2C example of the tacos, right? Because presumably everybody in the world likes tacos, right? anybody who doesn't, I don't want to know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But in the B2B space, like, they want to shorten Mm -hmm. buyer cycles. Mm -hmm. They want to shorten...
0: Yeah, but here's the deal. Let's let's take a good example. Let's say you sell enterprise-level cybersecurity software. Mm -hmm. Your best-case customer is a customer in the Fortune 1000 who does, I don't know, 150 to a $1 million dollars in billing every year, they make about hundred million in revenue, but they do a million technical internet-based transactions. Thus, they want to be able to wall that stuff off. Mm-hmm. You're perfect for them. I won the lottery last week and I'm an idiot and I can afford to spend the million dollars in your software. Are you not taking my money? Of course you're taking my money. Right, oh yeah. Of course you're taking my money. It becomes purely a, the only real question is, do you have the money? After that, the questions were the other way around. Here's, let me show you the value. Here, let me show you how this helps you. Here's, let me show you how that's going to. But for the most part, the marketer's about, yeah, I will talk to anybody who's got a million dollars in their pocket they can spend.
1: Yes and no, because you don't, I mean, you're not going to, if you're looking at a, you know, your paid advertising budget. Mm-hmm. You're not going to. You're not going to on me. You're not going to say, "Give me a gonna last- Spend any money yeah. trying to reach you because that's a total moonshot. Yeah, shot, if, and if that's they probably if they buy happen. a
0: list of former lottery winners in you know the United States and say, "Great, I'm going to market the heck out of them." You're right. That's right. wrong. Right. You, but a B two B market is often a two sided space where you say. Here is brand awareness, which is why when you go to O'Hare, you see nothing but VMware ads and these big, high-level enterprise, because they know that one out of 1,000, maybe one out of 10,000 of those people dragging their wheelie bag through O'Hare actually has the wherewithal to say, I do run the technology and the, and the e-commerce space on a very large company. That is a problem I'm facing. Mm -hmm. It's a very broad play. They are spamming an audience who will never, ever, ever, ever care about it to reach the one person who does it. the other side of it is the who do I want to start building relationships with because I know they're likely customers. But, like I said, if someone walked in with, I got a check, take my money, they'd take the money. And that's the trick. If you're looking to hire your next CMO and I walk in and say, I'll be your CMO, they'll, you have a lot of questions. Right. You should have, and you right. should. You should have a lot of questions. Right. Who the hell are you? What did you do before? Where did you work? How, how effective were you? Give me your references. It's blah, 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 blah. You never see it that way. Mm-hmm. If someone's willing to hand you money, the answer is yes, sir or madam, thank you. That is the end of conversation.
1: Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> um, and more power to you for doing that.
0: Congratulations, you made
1: a sale. No, no matter course. how it
0: happened, that's great.
1: Of course. Um, some people, well, yeah. So if, if somebody wanted to get, well, you mentioned needles in a haystack. Mm-hmm. How do they focus, how do they get more needles and, few, and less hay? right? Like how does that, Yeah, it sounds very difficult it it, is. And, it, and it's, and it is similar to what we do in the B2B space. I mm-hmm. do see that similarity where it's like, you know, if we got 50 clicks on a LinkedIn ad yep. and we targeted that very closely to the, to the audience that we people wanted. People in certain cities, people making certain amount of money, people in certain titles, people working in certain businesses. Yeah. Like, yep, we could see up to, you know, 30% exactly. of like a sales qualified lead coming exactly. through that just fifty percent or the, those fifty people, which is a huge result. And, and that's I feel because like you that's have what control
0: the, over that channel and mm-hmm. who that message gets sent to. Oh yeah, totally. Whereas in my world, mm-hmm. you're going to post that job. No, let me let me back up a little bit. Like eighty to ninety percent of those jobs are going to get posted to a big old job board, whether it's Indeed or Classdoor or LinkedIn or wherever mm-hmm. built in wherever you are. Great, but the CMO job is probably not there. You still take those very high-end jobs and you still run them through headhunters, executive searches. You still do a lot of word-of-mouth marketing. You say, OK, hey, leadership, or anybody in marketing, we're looking for a new CMO. Who do you know who is great? Or what company you think is doing it great? Let's go poaching. So there's a different model there. You can still do some targeting message. But that's not really the question you're asking. The question is, if I put my job for it, and let's skip the CMO side of it, let's get say I'm looking for a new Uh, a manager for my sales team, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to put them on Indeed or LinkedIn or wherever, and you're going to get a ton of references, a ton of responses. How do you get fewer? Well, the best way to do that is to change your messaging. If you say, I'm looking for a sales manager, any idiot can say, I can spell sales manager, and hit apply, and there you go. And
1: this is the messaging
0: on the actual job posting. On the job posting, on the career site, everything ancillary to that entire process on your social media, on your career site, on your content, on your videos, on your stories, on your blog, on your, on your, on. You can go all over the place, right? Because we know that the higher up in the totem pole you get, the longer that candidate journey becomes. If I'm a entry-level kid and I just got spit out by University of Wisconsin-Madison and I look like 50,000 other kids who look exactly like me. We have the same skill sets. We have the same experience. We probably all look the same, frankly. We have the same pair of shoes. we all got the same red t-shirt, right? <laughs> we all look the same. We're all just hitting apply, 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 apply in the hopes that law is a big number is to say someone will eventually call me. Mm-hmm. I've got a history degree. Please, for the love of God, somebody call me. Let's move that forward 10 years. I've had a job. I've got experience. I have skills. I have valuable skills. I know how to market them. I know how to frame them. I know where they're good and I know where they are and where they're useful and I know how to promote them and talk about them. So I build a good resume that says I'm valuable to somebody. Great. Where am I applying? Is it just anybody that says, yes, I can do that job? Well, no. What you're going to say is, I've never heard of that company. They're in my location. That job does sound like something I'd want to do. They framed it pretty well. I'm going to go do more research before I hit apply. Mm-hmm. And so they go to Glassdoor and, and LinkedIn and all these places, they ask their friends. They do the dance where they say, ah, oh, I see you're two degrees con- uh, disconnected from me on LinkedIn, let's go t- do coffee, and I'll ask you questions about what the company's really like. You get enough information to make the judgment call, then you go back and you hit apply or you don't. Mm-hmm. Right? So that process happens. Um, if you want to turn the anywhere from 100 to 250 applicants per job into something far more manageable, a lot of tricks at your disposal. And the first one is the job posting. I'm a big believer, and I am a very small voice in a vast, vast universe who believes this, but I know for a fact that it works. Every job posting at the bottom it should have, and here's why you'll hate this job. Mm. Go look at every job posting you've ever seen. First off, they all look like they were translated into Japanese, and then into Icelandic, and then back into English by two lawyers who didn't like each other, and they said, here it is, and it's going to be communicated purely in bullet points, and you're like, oh God, you're killing me. But if instead you said, here's what the company's all about. Here's how we're trying to make our particular dent in the universe, right? Here's how this team is helping our company make an impact. Here's how this role supports this team as we make this dent in the universe. And this is kind of what our culture's like. By the way, it would be super helpful if you had some of these skill sets and here are the things you're going to do every single day that are crucial that you understand. And by the way, here's why someone might hate this job. Mm -hmm. You structure your job posting like that Your job applications will be cut in half like that and you will lose no needles because anybody who saw that, here's why you won't be happy, thank goodness you showed it to them ahead of time before you got them into the interview and got them into the offer stage and you started to say, here's the job. And they went, you know what, I didn't like the interviewer. They told me the job was like this. Put that information in the posting. Mm -hmm. If you understand that you don't need 200 people to apply, you need two, feel free to talk about that job freely. But recruiters, because they're very often KPI'd up on the number of applicants and, number of, and how they are on the pipeline and how many people they move from one stage to the other, they don't want to do that because they're f- scared that if they don't cast the widest possible net, they might lose this diamond in the rough. I'm gonna tell you, those diamonds are gone. Everybody knows their value these days. No one has not found the internet. No one has not found these sites that talk about what you're worth or what the job's worth or what the company does. It's all open and transparent. Um, a friend of mine who used to work at Glassdoor, she likes to talk about conversations about that. We're entering the age of transparency, where 10 years ago, the concept of knowing what your neighbor paid for their house was like science fiction. That was only something lawyers knew, title companies knew. Now, Redfin, Zillow, you name, you know, you name the company, all sorts of places tell here's the public domain information of how much your neighbor paid for that, and then here's what they paid the previous person for that property, and you can go down the line. What if you start to apply that to salary? Mm -hmm. That sounds crazy to find out that everybody knows what your base salary is and you know what everybody else's base salary is, but five years from now, everybody's gonna know because it makes more sense. So if you start to decide the future is moving in this direction towards transparency, towards openness, towards understanding the bigger picture, and you have to move your your materials in the same direction. Everything you see in 99% of companies employer brand, recruitment marketing, recruiting spaces is predicated on the concept of because I have the job to offer, I have the power. I hold all the keys. I have all the cards. I make the choice. That, that changed three years ago. It, you know, I think the la- officially last June when they had more openings than people, it got obliterated. You want somebody, they have the power. Not the person holding the job, but the person who will take the job
1: from you. So did that change three years ago because of the employment market? or Yes, it was a slow change. also, yeah. or it, kind of a combination? It, all
0: of it, but the real kind of like, if you don't believe this now, you're a total fool, was last June when the numbers flipped. but but it had been coming for a while. The levels of transparency, the requirement for talent, the levels of talent available in a given spot, watching what the Valley was doing by sucking up talent from the rest of the country and having to overspend. I mean, there are places, and you hear horror stories about the Valley where people say, you can live in Houston and work in the Valley because it's cheaper to fly your butt to the Valley on Monday morning and fly it back Thursday night and put you up in a hotel three or four nights a a week, every single week, than it is to pay you a Valley-level salary. Insanity, Yeah. insanity. But when you start to hear that story, you go, what if insanity is the new normal? And then you start to realize everything we're doing is wrong. And that's when everything starts to break apart. That's when you start to say, let's stick a video in our job description. Let's let the hiring manager spend 20 seconds talking about what they're like as a manager. I was told four years ago when I was hiring somebody, do not put your LinkedIn profile in the job description. I said, why? They should know who their boss is gonna be. He goes, yeah, but you might not be the boss Six months from now, you don't know how that's going to play out. It's like, but, but I need it now. And this right. might be an attractive way to say, look, look how open I'm going to be. That was my particular brand out to the world to say, I want to coach you. I want to mentor you. Meet me. Meet all the people who reviewed me on LinkedIn. Meet all the, see all the jobs I've had before. Look at all the skills. Look at all the things I write about. And they're going to say, that's a place I can learn. And if you're look, looking to learn, I want to work with you. That's the whole pitch, mm-hmm. but they didn't want to do it that way because that's not how things are done. And I'm using air quotes,
1: and I know it's a podcast.
0: <laughs> but that's not how things are, and that's yeah. all of recruiting. Recruiting is a function of that's not how we used to do it.
1: So it sounds like you're advocating for <clears throat> you know, when in doubt,
0: Nuke be it. transparent. Nuke it. Destroy it. Start from scratch. Think about clean sheet of paper, everything you do, and that's everything from job postings to your career ads. I would honestly if I, <laughs> I'm a mean human, I'm a broken human being, I think we've established that by now. <laughs> I would love looking at LinkedIn people and saying they say, "Hey, we're hiring." And I just want to email them and say, "You and every other human on this planet, you are saying nothing of value. Hey, join me. I don't know you. Why would I want to join you? Your message is flawed. Your message is broken. You are spending time wasted on a message that nobody cares about. Here's three things you should be sharing instead." Mm. That's when recruiters go, but I've always done it this way and it's always worked. It's like, yeah, but it's frog in a, it's frog in a pot of water. Mm-hmm. It worked great 20 years ago when the internet was new, when the fact that you had a job board was magical. Yeah. And now it's like, yeah, a job board, it's a, tra- it's, a, it's a completely transactional experience. So what do you share? How do you attract attention? How do you build a brand? And that's where I live.
1: And so part of that, again, to this theme of transparency, um, you know, consumers in the in in the non-employer space mm-hmm. when they're, when they're thinking about making purchasing decisions, again, so much of that lives on social media Google, and it's Yelp,
0: Facebook. I mean, just name it. It goes nuts.
1: And so what should employers do to empower their employees to share their experiences as an employee on social media? Is mm-hmm. there anything they should do? should they have, should they say anything goes? Should they like, what's the strategy there? Cause I know there's a lot of fear also, mm-hmm. um, with companies that they're gonna to share too much. They might mm-hmm. share a bad experience. Oh my gosh, so, yep. uh, so what, what is the strategy there? All the friction around that process is a function of uncertainty.
0: The company is uncertain of what you will say and uncertain that you will say nothing but glowing things so they never ask. The employee is uncertain of what they're allowed to say before they get fired, so therefore they're unlikely to post. Mm-hmm. And consequently, you're at a stalemate. It's a bit of a detente kind of situation. Companies who have glass door problems, or review problems, or sentiment problems, or you know anything like that, the first step is to say, "This is what we stand for as a company." And I don't mean the thing that's on the wall that you've turned to a poster that you stuck up there five years ago and you haven't dusted since. I mean literally, what does this company do? Do they make cars? Do they make transportation? I mean, that's the thing that you know. You watch like an Uber and Airbnb. Uber is not a transportation company. What they—they're they're not a car company. They're a means of getting from place to place. Airbnb is not a hotel company. It's a way of staying places and opening options that you're not to be. If you really understand what you're about, and not about the product or the commodity that you're servicing, but what you're really about and how you're about, that's step one. Truly understand the purpose of the company. Okay, now tap into your brand positioning. And when I think about brand positioning, I think about... To me, it's, a, it's an eight-sided wheel. It's things like status and innovation and team support and uh, empowerment and performance and a couple of others. And you say, look, same way we talked about teachers. Teachers are not there for the money. They're not there for the innovation. They're not there for the status. They're there for the mission. Okay, Army Rangers, same way. They're going to get shot at. They get horrible health care. They don't get paid very well. You got still people volunteering for that job. Not me, obviously, but plenty of people do. Mm-hmm. Plenty of people want to work for a Goldman Sachs, but none of them want to change the world, right? What are you here for, and what do you reward? Do you reward performance? Do you re- reward innovation? Do you reward empowerment? Do you reward ownership? Do you reward a sense of team and support? Do you reward adherence to the vision? And if you understand that, one, you're pushing out the people for whom that's not their motivation, right? If you've got a team full of, team or truly team supportive we you know, us before i you know kind of mentality and we don't su- we succeed but the individual doesn't we only succeed when we succeed and you bring in someone like me and you figured out that i'm kind of a wild card self promoter sharky kind of guy i don't fit i may be smart i may be adding value but i don't fit and therefore i should go home I should not be there anymore. Mm-hmm. So when you've nailed down that brand position in one of those eight motivations, what do you reward and what are the people who want to, to work for you want to be rewarded for? And you find that fit, communicate it, right? Teachers' organizations don't say, because one day you'll be a millionaire. You no, know, Goldman Sachs never says, because one day we're going to figure out global warming, right? They don't say that. What they say is money. Goldman mm-hmm. Sachs talks about money every a job ad shows people with really nice suits and expensive watches. Money, 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 money. Uh, 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 SpaceX is all about innovation. It's really hard to work at, at, you know, work at SpaceX. You go to their glass door reviews and they talk about how hard it is to work and people complain about it and the answer is, well, we're going to freaking Mars. <laughs> yeah, there's right. no easy way to Mars. Although, and didn't, f- they,
1: didn't, didn't uh, SpaceX just get, uh, there's some Wall Street Journal article about SpaceX and some mm. other companies and about how they were actually gaming their, yes. glass, their yes. Glassdoor they're reviews? they're absolutely gaming it. But
0: the truth is, SpaceX had to because so many people were complaining about how hard to work it was. Right. The problem is Glassdoor, and this gets really in the weeds for my life, Glassdoor is not a rating of a company, even though Glassdoor will tell you all day long that that's what it is. It's not. What Glassdoor is is a rating of your recruiters. If you hire people who are good fits, who you're not just putting a butt in a seat, you're not just filling a slot, and you're finding people who are good matches, they stay longer, they leave good reviews. So therefore, a good Glassdoor review is a function of how good your job your recruiters did, not the job of the company.
1: Right, that's true. And it it does, based on everything you've said, it it makes the five-star system of a Glassdoor review seem kind of ridiculous, right? Because it's maybe... You know, somebody gives it a one-star review, but that's a one-star review for that person, right? Exactly. And so, to exactly. your point, the they recruiter were, They were lied around.
0: to. They yeah. were told there'd be a bonus. They were told they'd get their own office. They were told all sorts of stuff. They walked in day one. You don't get any of that. Guess what? First thing you do, one-star, kabango. Mm-hmm. And, then, and that's why they let you do things like filter by location and office. I personally believe in looking at the filtering between aggregate score and current employees because that will show you the people who left... Where are they scoring you? Are they scoring you to one or are they scoring you to three? And those are radically different stories right there. I want people who leave it at three going, you know, it's a cool company, but it just wasn't for me. Great. Hated it? Great. That tells me so much. But that's Glassdoor. And that kind of wanders off into a tangent. So once we understand our positioning yeah. and we communicate it out, what you do is then you're pushing out the people who don't fit and reminding people who do, this is why.
1: And so how do you, how do you communicate that to your employees? Is there like a... It sounds like now we're getting back to your actual brand values, right? That's right. And so you're communicating those to your employees. You would, would hopefully, we always advocate for our clients to have very clearly communicated values Mm -hmm. and like a brand guide, you know, your principles, your mission, your vision. The whole brand architecture, right? Right. The whole structure of what builds on what to create what. So that's where this kind of all comes
0: back to that central brand. And employer brand does the same thing because it takes that offshoot of... This company stands for this and this is what they do, and great, the fact that you use purple or blue for your corporate colors, congratulations, nobody cares. Internally, we can start to leverage off if that's what the company is all about, and the people who work here are motivated by these things because we've done the research and this is what we reward. And there is true alignment between if we're all about work life balance, we don't then promote the people who stay till nine o'clock every day because right. that creates the disconnect. That's right, you know, and, and that's where the problem things like brand guidelines can be the coat of paint on a bad problem, lipstick on a pig model. Mm-hmm. Whereas, employer brand, what happens is what you see that allows you to build that bird's nest is not what you're being told by what you're experiencing and doing. And that is the behaviors that are driven by the identity and the mission and the values and all that positioning is what you believe. When marketing, and when, when some liar like me, and I'm a marketer, so all marketers are liars, and when I'm telling you the reason you work at this company is X and you turn around and you look at everybody else who works here and you're going, that's not actually why we work here. Right. It turns out this, who are you gonna believe? The liar or everybody else? It's everybody else. And it's not just some sort of random series of events. It's a stacked series of beliefs and identity turning into behaviors, turning into what people see. That is the brand. Then it's a bird's nest model. You want to change that brand? You don't suddenly say, We're all about fun, and you bring in the clowns. You start to say, Look, we need to start to move these things. And that is changing your policies, changing your leadership. Who do you fire? Who do you hire? Who do you promote? Why do you promote them? When you promote them, how are you communicating that? How often do you communicate that strategy? If you're in a place where it's all about team and leadership never communicates, how much are you about team? Mm -hmm. So suddenly, that's where the real game I play lives. What are you doing as a company, internally and externally, And what do you aspire to? And what are people motivated by? And what do you reward? All those, you know, very complicated Venn diagram in my head. That's where I live. And if you can start to look at all the different pieces that ladder into that brand, that's where I want to make adjustments. So I'm very comfortable saying, hey, company, you're telling me you're all about empowerment, but your 401k is crap. Mm -hmm. And nobody feels like if they are empowered, they get the reward out of it because your 401k says there's no reward
1: at the end of this. Mm
0: -hmm. You're just... I'm just milking you.
1: Yeah. And it's something we say all the time as far as <clears throat> uh, establishing your actual brand. Like, you really have to take these things seriously and look around and be, and authenticity is is so important, mm-hmm. right? Because um, like you said- You can
0: hire George Clooney to say that's the best cup of coffee he ever had. Yeah. I don't believe that for a second. I'm right. pretty sure George Clooney knows how to get a really nice espresso. He doesn't need to press the button to make that happen. And I'm not mentioning any brand names, but we all know what I'm talking about. Right. But I think I've got a machine right back there. What, that might be why I thought of it. But also, George Clooney, he's great. Um, but if you talk to an employee, they're going to give you the straight dope. They're going to tell you what they really saw, how they really feel. You buy them a beer and you're going to get everything. And there's no incentive to say, look, somebody's paying me a million dollars to say something nice about this coffee. They're going to say, this is what I saw. You can decide how you like it or don't like it, if that works for you or don't. You're going to have to make your own call. But the words you get from that are so much more valuable and authentic and credible than what the quote unquote paid spokesman would say.
1: Makes total sense. So it sounds like transparency, authenticity, credibility, these are the the foundations.
0: Yep. You gotta you gotta understand those. And if you don't, you're gonna kinda you know be chasing your own tail.
1: So what's one thing that a recruiter or an HR manager, what's one thing that you would like them to focus on uh, that that they can do to improve their efforts at getting those needles. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I think the first thing is to embrace the pain, is to say, look, frog in a pot of water, the water got hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and suddenly we're about to boil. And until you just look around and kind of remove the delusions from you, that whole, what we've worked has always worked and that's going to be fine. Once you rip that off, then all sorts of things are possible. But until then, what you're going to try and do is optimize. And I know that there are plenty of people who make a lot of money optimizing things. To me, it's a dirty word. Mm -hmm. To me, I'd rather blow it up and start from scratch than find a way to eke out three more percent of value out of that thing. I'd rather reinvent it and double the value. I want to, you know, jump the entire chasm rather than figure out how to kind of walk my way up there. And HR for whatever, now I have a lot of reasons for why HR doesn't want to do this. HR loves rules. Their reason for being is to not get the company sued. And the fastest way to keep the company from getting sued is to establish rules that everybody has to live with no matter what. And whatever those rules are, we have the rules. They're public rules. You can't say you didn't know about the rules. And when you violate the rules, you're on your butt and you can't sue us because we, rules. That's HR, that's, that's their entire mentality. That's a rules-driven existence that is so anathema to me as a human being, which is why me and HR tend to fight a lot, pleasantly. Um, ironically, that's why way my wife is. She loves rules. Uh, how we get along so well is beyond me, but there we are. She knows I haven't seen a rule where I don't go, how do I blow that up into a million pieces and start from scratch? She <laughs> knows that about me. So until HR and recruiting, and recruiting almost always lives in HR for better or for worse, and I think they should, first step one is split out, but... Until it can start to walk away from the rules and the process and say, I want to build relationships with these people. I don't want to drive them through a pipeline. I don't want to drive them through a process. I don't want to push them like cats through the chute and say, OK, we brought 100 people in, pick one. It's got to be about, I built relationships with people. And when the hiring manager comes in and says, Did you hear Susan quit? We need a new sales manager. The recruiter should be able to say, I know five who would be great. Mm. Because the problem is if the hiring manager and like so many problems within a company are a function of friction, meaning I won't let my star player move to another department where they would be more valuable for the company because I don't trust that the recruiter will bring me me another good player for that role. So consequently, I'm going to fief them up. I'm going to not let people walk away. And that harms the company. You win, but we lose. Now, if you have faith that the recruiter always has a stockpile of talent that they can fill it like in a moment's notice, you're going to let talent go up and out. You're going to let them say, you're going to let boomeranging happen. And boomeranging is such a huge, huge trend right now that people aren't really talking about. Mm. Leaving, going where the grass is greener for two years and then coming back and bringing back so much skills and coming back ready to go because you already know the company, you already know the politics, and you already know the players. They're super valuable. Mm. But if you hoard you don't create boomerangs because people don't want to come back to that. So if you have trust in the recruiting process and they, that trust starts with knowing that it's not going to take me 12 to 18 weeks to refill that role or six months before that role once filled actually becomes uh, a productive and isn't just a loss leader, then I'm willing to let things happen. I'm willing to take more chances. I'm willing to be more flexible with my thinking and my talent and my team and let things happen. It's... In uncertainty that forces people to become incredibly rigid in their thinking because they're playing defense, right? Yeah. So once you start to open that up, and that comes from recruiters having a good pipeline of relationships, of not saying, I know I have the resumes of 20 sales managers, but I've spoken to 10 or 5 sales managers, and here are the three who would be amazing, and I know at least two are looking, should I set up a call right now? Mm. You can have that person in two weeks. You That's absolutely the dream, have, that it? is the absolute dream. My, my real thinking is if a, a the companies that are about to succeed in recruiting are the ones who say, "Okay, recruiters, 2 hours every day what I want you to do is go post on social media of a story. Go to a hiring event, go to go to industry events not to go recruit, but to build relationships and I, your goal is every week 10 new relationships. Know who they are, know what their motivations are, know what they're looking for, what they love to see one day. Even if you can't fulfill that today or tomorrow, just build the relationships. The company should then provide tools to help automate a little bit some of that keeping warm process. Now, you're a content marketer. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I was just going to say, this
1: sounds so familiar. You should. It, yeah. that, it,
0: but th- what you're stealing from is not marketing but sales lead generation and sales keeping them warm and qualifying them, right? That's what this becomes. And then it becomes a Pardo, HubSpot, whatever you want to use to say, here's a tool to help feed some automation to keep those leads warm, till the moment the hiring manager walks up to you and taps you on the shoulder and say, we need a new sales manager. And you go, ha ha, ha here's five. Yep. And by the way, they're pre-sold on the brand. I've been, mean, every two weeks, I send them a great story about our company. Mm-hmm. They've already met one of us. They already, 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 they're ready to go. That is the world you need to be in, where it's not about dialing for dollars or spamming people with in-mails or saying, hey, I noticed that in 2004 you once used Lotus Notes. Do you want to be a part-time Lotus Notes developer in North Carolina, which is legitimately email spam I get on a monthly basis? Yeah, I haven't touched Lotus Notes in 12, 15 years. I didn't even think it existed. Um, but they're like, yeah, do you want to move to North Carolina? No but they just spam because it's of no cost to them to spam the hell out of people. Right. Recruiters need to then say, and it's kind of where we started, every time they spam somebody, they're actually pushing someone away. Instead, if you build a relationship, you're not annoying people to get, you know, you're not annoying 10 people to get to the one person, you're focusing on the one person, building a relationship and saying, look, even if I never place you, even if I never have the job for you, I'm building a relationship and you change jobs and I change jobs and, 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 Relationships are inherently good things and provide value wherever we go. And then you should be looking for recruiters who bring in the relationships. Mm -hmm. I have a network of 10,000 people who I have some connection with who I've kept warm. Maybe they're all data scientists. Maybe they're all accountants. Who knows? But that's super valuable. And that's the recruiter who gets the bonus, the rewards, the the raises, all that stuff. The fact that you can put one more butt in a seat in a month of no
1: value. Well, I love that idea of just Giving, building relationships, and you know, trusting that those seeds that you plant will uh, bring a lot of fruit in the future. Yeah. And that seems to be another theme that, that really connects a lot of the ideas that you're sharing. So. Yeah,
0: and the problem with marketing has been always that because it's not sales, it doesn't have to be connected with an output or an outcome. It can be, I have driven X number of leads. I guess I'm done. Right, and sales will figure it out but the integration that sales goes these are better leads than these what are you telling them like the biggest you know I love to talk about the, market, the best marketing ad in the world is free pizza and beer click here now, of course, you click here and there's no free pizza and beer. You've just pissed off everybody who clicked. You got a great click rate. You're a genius, right? You're the world's greatest marketer, right? No, it is understanding the throughput all the way to the end of the process. Seeding mes- messages, not of free ebook, but more about here's an interesting idea to consider that the salesperson starts to reinforce, and if we go to a seed-based metaphor, they're fertilizing this idea, mm-hmm. they're watering the idea, suddenly it sprouts, and suddenly the conversation becomes, how do we make this happen? And that is a single line. And by drawing the lines between marketing's half and sales half, you end up cutting the process in half, and you have disconnects, and that's where most of the problems are. Recruiting's the same way. What is this company all about? What are we trying to achieve? How do we achieve it? Feed that into the recruiters. Recruiters build relationships over time, and then you know, that reap the benefit of those relationships and those messages and turn into faster talent.
1: I love it. I've learned a ton in just this hour. So I'm not thank drunk. you so I'm much. Not drunk. I I know that not, that's water in that, that cup. It's, you handed it to me. So
0: I assume it's not gin. That doesn't
1: necessarily mean it's not water, but yeah, <laughs> but you know, this one, Yeah, you have it marked. <laughs> that's that's yeah. good. That's good. You heard the seal correct. That's true. I did. Um, thank you so much, James. I've learned a ton. I hope our listeners have learned. I'm sure they have a ton about employer branding, and uh, how to keep that pipeline full uh, and using those principles that you, that you enumerated.
0: Oh, yeah, Thri- thrilled to be here. This, I mean, I, you can tell I'm very passionate about these ideas. Love the I've passion. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Um, if you want to learn more, I have a podca- pa- podcast called The Talent Cast, where if you like the sound of my voice... Boy, have I got something for you, uh, because it's literally just monologues. (laughs) I do writing, I do blogging, I do consulting, so other places to find me are the Talent Cast, employerbrand.consulting, jamesellis.us. If you want someone to really spark the recruiting team into life, to give them something beyond, to think bigger, uh, I would love to help you out.
1: I would highly recommend anybody who needs that help to reach out to James. I will also put all of those links into the show notes and make it as easy as possible for people to get in touch with you. Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks so much, James. Thanks Matt. Thanks for having me. This has been a blast. Well, there you have it, folks. An extensive discussion about all things employer branding. I had a lot of questions for James, and he brings such a colorful and informed perspective the topic that i did not want to leave any of those questions unanswered thank you again james ellis for coming onto the show Uh, please check the show notes for information on how to contact james his website his socials etc i hope you learned as much as i did i encourage you to subscribe to marketing people podcast on itunes if you don't already and follow the show on soundcloud if you're on soundcloud and please do me a favor and share the show with a friend or a colleague who you think might learn something from it ironically i have zero marketing budget to promote this right now so right now it's all word of mouth which means you if you have a mouth that makes words okay that's all i got thanks again for listening until next time on marketing people